This is an ABC podcast. In March 2019, a woman approached the front gates at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. She was carrying a suspiciously large handbag. A woman by the name of Yu Jing Zhang shows up out of thin air and tries to connive her way in. Yu Jing Zhang had just arrived from China and seemed not to speak English, but she wanted to come inside. She told agents and security she was first going to the club's pool. They let her in. Mar-a-Lago security allowed the woman to enter, even though she wasn't on any guest list. Turns out one of the members of the club is named Zhang, a very common Chinese name, and the security guards assumed she was a family member. She made it past two security checkpoints, which is much further than she should have been able to get, before the Secret Service figured out something was up. This woman was highly suspicious. She was not who she said she was. Yu Jingjiang was an educated Chinese woman, finance background. She spoke some English. She did have a legitimate reason to be at Mar-a-Lago. She was attending an event that was advertised to give Chinese business people access to the president and his family. Except that event had been cancelled. She knew that it had been cancelled before she left China. She flew to Florida anyway. Security searched her and discovered... She had come in with a stash of money and a stash of electronics. A stash of electronics doesn't quite describe it. A thumb drive, a laptop, an external hard drive, and four cell phones. Her handbag was also lined with a material that blocks electronic interference. Another cell phone, five SIM cards that change a phone's number, nine USB drives, thousands of dollars in cash. All very strange and mysterious. It almost sounds like she could have been... spy. You didn't think that we'd go a whole season without mentioning a possible spy, did you? In the end, Yuzhen Zhang was charged with trespassing and lying, kept in prison for eight months, then deported back to China. She acted bizarrely all the way through her trial and never gave a good explanation for why she was there. Another Chinese woman was arrested last year for sneaking into Mar-a-Lago multiple times to take photos. Experts have suggested the women may have been untrained operatives sent in by Chinese intelligence to test Mar-a-Lago's security systems. And those are just the ones we know about. But spies are not the only way the Chinese government has tried to take on Trump. Hey, look, I know lots of folks in China. They think we are the dumbest son of a bitches in the world, all right? Today, how Chinese President Xi Jinping broke down Trump's defences and turned his disdain for China... China! 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 ...into a beautiful friendship. President Xi is a uh, terrific guy. I like being with him a lot. Uh, And he's a very special person. Which was the perfect distraction for what China was really doing. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is America, if you're listening podcast about how Donald Trump changed the United States and the world. For about a decade, Donald Trump has been convinced that China is taking advantage of America. It's almost impossible to do business in China, and yet they take our business from North Carolina, from South Carolina, from Alabama. They make toys. They then sell them to this country. 
They make tremendous profits, and they, then they loan this country money in the form of treasuries, and so, I think it's terrible. So where did he get that idea? The film you're about to see addresses one of the most urgent problems facing America. From this documentary called Death by China, narrated by actor Martin Sheen. It's increasingly destructive trade relationship with a rapidly rising China. And by the way, that sound you heard in the middle of that grab was a made-in-China knife stabbing into a big map of America. This film is written, produced and directed by economics professor Peter Navarro, a guy who ran for office multiple times as a progressive Democrat before getting fixated on China. His view on China is essentially that you can't buy anything from them at all because anything that's good for China is inherently bad for America. When they pick up that good and it says made in China, I want them to think, hmm, it might either break down or it could kill me. There is no way that both can benefit at the same time. This thing, if I buy it, might cost me or someone in my family or my friends their job. As far as anyone can tell, this isn't a point of view shared by any other economist, except for someone that Navarro quoted a lot named Ron Vara. And right now, you're thinking there's something about that name that seems a little off. Ron Vara is an anagram of Navarro. Navarro made him up. In 2011, he made this movie and wrote a book of the same name. And Donald Trump loved it. The two got in touch, and very quickly, Trump's views on China began to align perfectly with Navarro's. And once Trump started running for president, Navarro joined his team, and the two started to heat up the rhetoric. We can't continue to allow China to rape our country, and that's what they're doing. Trump's solution? Send a tough guy to sort him out with a 25% tax on all Chinese products. And, you know, I said to somebody that it's really the messenger. The messenger is important. I could have one man say, we're going to tax you 25%. And I could say another, listen, you motherfuckers, we're going to tax you 25%. Decades ago, when Donald Trump was living in his first Manhattan penthouse apartment and forming the early kernel of his ideas on trade, the future Chinese president, Xi Jinping, was living in a cave. His father, Xi Zhongshun, was a senior Communist Party official who slipped into Chairman Mao's bad books and was thrown in jail. The 15-year-old Xi was sent to live in a mountain farming community in a cave house. Back then, it was very poor around here. We had to eat leaves. He was very skinny. Even before this, his father, who had grown up a peasant, had taught Xi Jinping not to waste anything. The thing Xi Jinping couldn't bear was that after his father took a bath, he wouldn't throw away the water that made his two sons share it. Sometimes she wore his sister's floral shoes dyed black. This was back in the 60s and 70s. But all the way up to the turn of the century, 90% of Chinese people were living in poverty. They're known as blind migrants. Across China, an estimated 80 million of them blindly search for a better life. But all that changed in 2001 when they started doing big trade deals and getting extremely rich. Now, the deals China signed included rules. But as Trump quite rightly says, China doesn't abide by them. China cheated on its currency, added another trillion dollars to our trade deficits and stole 
hundreds of billions of dollars in our intellectual property. And it's worked incredibly well. When Xi Jinping's journey finally took him from that cave to becoming the president of China in 2012, the number of people living in poverty had halved and the country was on its way to becoming the largest economy on earth. Some people, like Barack Obama, say it's okay that China is gaining in power, but... What we have said to the Chinese, and we've been firm consistently about this, is you have to recognise that with increasing power comes increasing responsibilities. Xi Jinping was not interested in playing by anyone else's rules. As president, he was trying to gain more control over other countries, steal the South China Sea, crush dissent in his own country, and absorb Taiwan and Hong Kong back into China. When Barack Obama was president, he was working on all of these problems simultaneously. Then a new guy came in, ready to make some deals. As soon as Donald Trump took office, he was ready to take on China. He invited President Xi Jinping to Mar-a-Lago for their first meeting. The battleground was set. I just want to say it's a great honour to have the President of China and his incredibly talented wife. Uh, it's an honour to have you in the United States. Trump wanted a trade deal which would fix all the things he hated about the way China and America did business. He'd only been in office for a few weeks, but he was sure he'd be able to nail it. We've had a long discussion already, and so far I have gotten nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> she may have sensed that Trump was distracted. In fact, during the meeting, the US president was in the middle of ordering his first ever military strike on a Syrian airbase. We had finished dinner, we're now having dessert, and we had the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake that you've ever seen, and President Xi was enjoying it. And I was given the message from the generals that the ships are locked and loaded. Trump leaned across his dessert and told Xi about the airstrikes. I said, Mr. President, let me explain something to you. We've just launched 59 missiles heading toward Syria. Xi Jinping stared at Trump. He was silent. He paused for 10 seconds. Keep in mind, China and Syria have friendly relations. An airstrike is not something Xi would usually look upon favorably. And then he asked the interpreter to please say it again. I didn't think that was a good sign. Perhaps she sensed an opportunity. Here was Trump, ordering his first ever military action and seemingly keen to hear what she thought about it. And he said to me, anybody that was so brutal and uses gases to do that to young children and babies, it's okay. He was okay with it. Trump was thrilled to have gained Xi's approval. He boasted about it to people. He would talk endlessly about his relationship with Xi Jinping, the first authoritarian leader who would make his personal friend. Xi had hit the jackpot. Before Trump, America could get things done because they had lots of allies. If China did something wrong, Xi would have to deal with blowback from the leaders of Europe, Mexico, Japan, South Korea, Canada, Israel, Saudi Arabia, Australia and New Zealand. But Trump wasn't interested in that. 
They've taken advantage of us for years. And I have to say, sadly, in many cases, it's our allies that took the greatest advantage of this country. Trump was going to deal with Xi man-to-man, one-on-one. It's how he liked to handle every negotiation with authoritarian leaders. And that suited Xi perfectly. This is a man who had lived for seven years in a cave fighting for survival and had then fought his way to the top of the Chinese Communist Party bureaucracy. He arrived at every meeting impeccably prepared. And he was up against Donald Trump, who had grown up in luxury, had no experience in politics, and had only just been taught how to pronounce the Chinese president's name. It's she, like a woman, he was reportedly told. Trump had apparently been saying, Mr. XI. If you watch, as I did on any number of occasions, Donald Trump on the opposite side of the table from Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, it's not a fair fight. This is Trump's former national security advisor, John Bolton. They are extraordinarily focused, hard-headed, knowledgeable, experienced, and thoroughly ruthless. She left that meeting with a belly full of chocolate cake and a clear realisation. Trump was only after one thing from China, a trade deal. If they dangled that in front of him, who knows what they could get away with while he was distracted. Not long after the meeting, she invited Donald Trump to visit Beijing. The wooing had officially begun. China called Trump's visit to Beijing a state visit plus a term they made up because they thought Trump would like it. Trump was treated to a performance of the Peking Opera as she gave him a personal tour of the Forbidden City. Trump pulled out an iPad and showed Xi a video of his granddaughter Arabella Kushner singing in Mandarin. Following the meeting, Trump said China was right to take advantage of America on trade. I don't blame China. Who can blame a country for being able to take advantage of another country for the benefit of its citizens. I give China great credit. He had been thoroughly charmed. But as Trump and Xi attended the opera and praised each other, disturbing reports were coming out of Western China. Houses were being found, suddenly abandoned. We find many of their homes locked and deserted. Sinister official notices on the doors say the missing are being looked after. People were disappearing straight off the streets. According to local residents of Xinjiang, these people have been kept in secretive detention camps, which are sealed off by rifle-toting policemen. The people disappearing were from a Muslim ethnic group called the Uyghurs. They're a minority group, even in their home state of Xinjiang, and the Chinese government considers them a problem. They claim the Uyghurs are full of Islamic extremists and terrorists. To the Chinese government, Uyghurs' ethno-national identity is a stumbling block. Human rights lawyer Nuri Turkle says China decided it would be easier just... ...to dilute, uh, eventually um, uh, destroy the Uyghurs' centuries-old ethnic and cultural heritage. The Chinese government began to scoop up anyone who looked a bit Muslim and send them to a re-education camp. But even while it was happening, Trump and Xi's romance continued. China's great, and Xi is a great gentleman. Xi changed the Chinese constitution to allow him to stay in office for life. He's now president for life. (laughs) (laughs) President for 
We'll have to give that a shot someday. <laughs> Everything was going fantastically for Xi. I view them as a friend. I have tremendous respect for President Xi. Donald Trump seemed to support him on every issue, except for one. But we have one particular problem. Donald Trump still wanted that trade deal, and he decided to stick to his pre-election strategy to get it. Listen, you motherfuckers, we're going to tax you 25%. That was pretty much the extent of his plan. Demand China, buy more stuff from America and abide by the rules of international trade or we tax your stuff. He hadn't really thought it through much further than that, but he was confident it would work. China has total respect for Donald Trump and for Donald Trump's very, very large brain. So in 2018, he put a 25% tax or a tariff on some Chinese products being shipped into America. Tonight, trade war worries igniting. The move has angered Beijing. The president signed this order to slap tough tariffs on China. Raising the prospect of a trade war. China responded with tariffs of the same size. China is firing back. Trump escalated. The tariffs that we could slap on China, the president has effectively doubled. China escalated. The Chinese embassy in Washington vowed to fight to the end. It was a full-blown trade war. On the surface, Trump and Xi appeared to still be great friends, praising each other's political moxie while trying to get the upper hand. Neither seemed willing to budge. But Xi Jinping doesn't have to get re-elected. Ever. Trump does. And while Trump hadn't really planned ahead beyond the 25% tax, Xi had. Hi everybody, I am a soybean. She made propaganda videos like this soybean commercial to make sure everyone in America, including Trump, knew how this was going to shake out. Most of the US's soybean exports go to China. She was going to try and bankrupt Trump's voter base. And Trump wants to win over more voters by starting a trade war. She targeted tariffs at hundreds of thousands of swing state soybean farmers who had supported Trump in 2016. But the funny thing is that those voters whom Trump thinks will rally behind his trade actions will be hurt by this conflict. Trump tried to spend his way out of this by giving the farmers a $32 billion a year handout. This was his message to them. Just be a little patient. They're all aiming at anybody that likes me. But it was too late. She had trapped Trump. Trump was still certain a trade deal would happen. President Trump departing Air Force One in Osaka, Japan. Where he flew to Japan to meet Xi and finally end the stalemate. So landing in stormy weather, we'll see if this meeting with President Xi Jinping will be stormy weather or perhaps we'll see some sunshine break through in those trade negotiations. Now, knowing what happened here relies on the testimony of John Bolton, who was in the room but now hates Trump. He says Trump specifically said he needed Xi to give him a trade deal so he could get re-elected. And he says Trump was willing to give up everything else if a trade deal might happen. Uyghurs in camps? Trump says fine. Not standing in the way of China taking the autonomy of Hong Kong? Trump was fine with that too. And what did he get in return? Nothing. She strung Trump along, offering little concessions and the possibility of more negotiations without making any commitments. Trump went home without a trade deal. Again. But he was still confident it was just around the corner. Until coronavirus changed everything. 
the first news reports came out on New Year's Eve 2019. This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. Viral pneumonia has hit central China's Wuhan city. But by mid-January, reports of the coronavirus spreading in China had made it into Donald Trump's daily briefings along with assessments that China was hiding something. Chinese officials have arrested several people for spreading fake news online about the viral spread of pneumonia in the city of Wuhan in Hubei province. Donald Trump ignored it. He just kept talking up the trade deal. He didn't want to hear anything bad about China. He didn't want to hear anything bad about Xi Jinping, his buddy. This was happening at key moments when Trump should have had all his attention on the virus. On the day China announced the lockdown of Wuhan, Trump continued to deny it was a serious problem. Trump was convinced Xi was being totally honest about the situation and would be able to handle it. President Xi, there's just some, some talk in China that, that maybe the transparency isn't everything that it's, it's going to be. Do you trust that we're going to know everything we need to know from China? I do, I do. I have a great relationship with President Xi. By the time Trump announced that he was going to cut off airline travel from China, the virus was already spreading rapidly in the United States. But it would take until more than 50,000 Americans had been killed by the virus before Trump realised the trade deal would have to be put on ice. Some people call it the Chinese flu, the China flu. There was no reason to play nice anymore. It's got all different names. Wuhan. Got Wuhan was catching on. Coronavirus, right? Kung flu. Besides, he needed someone to blame. We must hold accountable the nation which unleashed this plague onto the world, China. The Trump-Xi romance is over. But for many people, including senators from Trump's own Republican Party, it's too little, too late. The way he kisses dictators' butts. I mean, the way he um, ignores that the Uyghurs are in literal concentration camps in Xinjiang right now. He hasn't lifted a, a finger on behalf of the Hong Kongers. I mean, he and I have a very different foreign policy. It isn't just that he fails to lead our allies. It's that we, the United States now regularly sells out our allies under his leadership. Trump promised to make America wealthy again, and he tried to achieve that with a great new friendship with Xi Jinping. He failed. In fact, the trade imbalance between America and China has only gotten worse. But that friendship meant Xi was able to achieve incredible victories without any pushback from the US. He is now leader for life. He has imprisoned millions of Uyghurs. He's established serious military bases in the South China Sea. He's bought himself close new relationships with countries all over the world. He has significantly damaged freedom of speech in Hong Kong. He may have screwed up during the first few months of the COVID-19 pandemic, but due to tough lockdowns squashing the virus at home, China is now leading the global economic recovery. America is not wealthier or stronger. China is. America, if you're listening, is written by me, Matt Bell. It's produced by Yasmin Parry and Will Ockenden. Next, when the president caught coronavirus, 
President Trump just tweeted moments ago that he and the First Lady have tested positive for the coronavirus. This One man scary. was not surprised. I was worried that he was going to get sick when I saw him in a completely precarious situation. Dr. Anthony Fauci spent his career preparing for pandemics. There were three pandemics in the 20th century. We haven't had one for 37 years. So you would say we were about due for the natural evolution of how pandemics occur. But when the big one arrived, he watched the system around him fall apart and the president he works for turn on him. Biden wants to lock it down. He wants to listen to Dr. Fauci. He wants to listen to Dr. Fauci. That story's next on America If You're Listening. It will be our last episode before the US election, so if you've got friends who haven't listened yet, now's their chance to start. You can also rate or review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. And if you've got questions about the election or suggestions for how the ABC can cover it best, we are keen to hear from you at abc.net.au slash US election. Thanks for listening. See you next week.